My name is Jason Stabinskis. I'm the Managing Director of ASX Listed Los Cerros Limited. We have two projects in the Midcoker Porphyry Belt of Colombia, surrounded by some, uh, some many multi-million ounce discoveries. And we recently put out a, a maiden resource on one of our projects. Jason, good to see you. We caught up back in October, um, got introduced to you and the uh, company. Uh, thanks for coming back on. And con congrats on the maiden resource. Um, do you want to give some of the major headlines there? And we'll I'll, uh, ask, you, ask you some questions around that, if I may. So Tesserito has been the, the main story of the company for the last uh, two years, nine to 18 months or so. Uh, Tesserito is part of a, of a larger project called Kinchia, and Kinchia already has resources on it. It has a, well, has a reserve at Miraflores, which is about 800, 800 metres away from Tesserito, and uh, a resource at Dos Cabradas, which is about another two kilometres away from that. Uh, but Tesserito has been the main focus. Uh, so since uh, we spoke last, I think uh, we've put another 20 or so holes into Tesserito, and that's given us a, a sufficient drill density to go towards a mineral resource estimate. So we commissioned that uh, consistent with our plans uh, quarter one this year and uh, last Monday put that out. Uh, depending on how you cut it, uh, the, one that, the numbers that I'm focusing on is using a 0.5 gram per tonne cutoff, which gives us 1.3 million ounces at 0.81 at Tesserito, and then you add in the rest of the Kinchia to resource to that to get you a total of uh, 2.6 million ounces at a gram. Right. Okay. And, and the key, key phrase in there was, um, you know, the the plan, right? Because you've got multiple assets there, and you know, I know you're chasing down some others, and we'll get into that in a second here. But so you, you talk about the Kinchia project more broadly, having 2.6 million mm. ounces of gold, which is a very attractive number. But we need to understand how that comes together. Because, you know, um, I think we talked last time, Aussies like to get into some sort of cash flowing situation as quickly as possible. So have your plans changed since we spoke in October about how you piece this together? Well, I, I don't think so. I'd have to go back and watch the video to see what I said last time. But uh, hopefully I'm consistent with that. But we have one of the strengths we have is optionality, uh, particularly now that we have Tesserito defined as an inferred resource. So. We have Miraflores, and again, this is all part of the Kinchia project. So they're all about three kilometre radius of each other. So they're all very, very close to each other. Miraflores is um, uh, a reserve. It's uh, 460,000 ounces, grading 3.3 grams per tonne. We have a DFS in place on Miraflores, and it's going through, uh, we're preparing final submissions for final approvals to go into production at Miraflores if we choose to do that. And I'm not saying we are choosing to do that, but we're progressing that. Um, so that's that's the small scale. But right next to that is Tesserito, which um, we've just generated the mineral resource on. That gives us optionality as well. So we could look at uh, exploiting that first or Miraflores first. We could look at a starter pit at uh, Tesserito, and I hope you ask me about that. Uh, combining that with uh, Miraflores in some way, there's the potential for Dos Cabradas, which is another 400 and something thousand ounces of inferred about two kilometres away. Maybe there's a a pattern there as well that fits into it. Uh, so what we're doing right now is we're doing the metallurgy on Tesserito. The, the next step for Tesserito is to first phase metallurgy. And then on the back of that, we'll be sufficiently informed about Miraflores and Tesserito. And remember, they're 800 metres apart to commission a preliminary economic assessment, looking at the very things that you asked. You know, what, are, what are our options? What are the synergies? What are the potential conflicts, et cetera? 
in um, in blending these two together, or do we do them sequentially? What what produces the best economic arguments for us? Right, and and I mean to that end, what, what's happening in the district? And you know, do you need to build your own infra- infrastructure? Do you need to build your own plant? Will you be tolling? I, I get the open pit component and <clears throat> trying to understand the economics, um, but what what else is around you in terms of feeding into that decision making? In terms of infrastructure, you know, as as, as I said, we have Miraflores at a DFS, so a lot of that. A lot of those questions have already been addressed in the DFS, and that was 2017. But infrastructure doesn't change very quickly, so it's no, no. But, but it's it, it, the DFS that talks about Miraflores, which is a small project, nice grades, mm. but a small project. It's it's more about if you do you try and scale this, you know, is the infrastructure fit for purpose? I see. I see. Well, certainly not. If if we were going to um, look at Tesserito as as part of the mix of an early stage production scenario then the sizings of the Miraflores process design would all be wrong. Uh, you know, the, the, we've tripled the size of, of the feed rate, right? So it's all wrong. Uh, so no, the Miraflores design is optimised for Miraflores, 460,000 ounces, 3.3 gram per tonne, 42,000 ounces production, 72 million capex. That's the very small scale project for Miraflores. Now, if we, if we went and said, okay, Tesserito, especially that starter pit is where we're going to start. We're now talking at um, combining Miraflores with Tesserito. We're looking at a million ounces at somewhere blended between 1.23 gram per tonne um, at the Tesserito starter pit and 3.3 gram per tonne at Miraflores. So they're roughly half a million ounces each, 1.2 and 3.3. So what's that, 2, 2.2, something like that. So you're looking at a million ounces at 2.2 that size plant is completely different to what we would do at Miraflores. And then there's a third option, which is to say, oh, let's go big. We do have defined 2.6 million ounces at a gram per tonne. Let's size this operation for 2.6 and, and go from there. Right. See, see that. There's the options that the PEA will explore. Th- and those are great options. And as you, as you said last time, you reminded me, you, you did a lot of cash then. I think it was about 23 million back then, or it was sort of around, what, 17 million at the last reported yeah, a little north of seventeen million at the moment. Right. Okay. So you still you still kind of got the optionality in terms of the the studies phase. So this this PEA that you talk about being able to do it once the network's done is what, what's your uh, timing for making the decision as to when that starts? Mm. Well, you can't really do much until you've done the metallurgy because that dictates recoveries and and what is ore and what is waste and all those sorts of things. So the metallurgy really has to be done first, and that's just commissioned. So I'm hoping that's sort of July, we'll have some meaningful results, maybe August finalised results, uh, then that will feed into the PEA for the second half of the year. Right, okay, because here's the, here's the thing, um, you put out the, um, the main resource, market sort of shrugged its shoulders and went, uh-huh, so what? Um, so therefore, you know, I guess my question to you is, well, one, how do you react to that? We're expecting it to be a big moment. Um, and two, how do you think that you need to build this story to get the market to pay attention? Because you say to me, headlines there, 2.6 million ounces of gold, and, you know, whether it be a, a, a gram or above. I should be interested, and the market should be interested, but you're sitting at this sort of 70, 80 million market cap number. Price has been sort of going sideways, what, 12, 12 cents or so. How do you react to that? Well, it's, it's disappointing that our share price hasn't hasn't risen on the back of that resource. But I'm, I'm hoping or I'm expecting that it will, to be honest. Uh, one of the things that um, came out of the the production of the mineral resource at Tesserito is that we can now calculate an enterprise value per resource ounce 
And, you know, and that, that's a common uh, metric for valuing a company. Up until now, it, that number would have been meaningless because you would have just had Miraflores. And for the last two years, we've been doing nothing at Miraflores. We've been working on Tesserito. So now that Tesserito is out and we have a resource there, we can combine that with Kinchia and we get the magic 2.6 million ounces at a gram per tonne, you can actually calculate an EV per resource ounce. And until now, that's been a great unknown for, for um for Los Cerros, you know, how do you value that company? Uh, the, the projects look great, but what is it? What is the sort of the baseline valuation of this company? If you look at EV per resource ounce, we now sit at about twenty dollars. And if uh, if you know anything about uh, EV per resource ounce sort of metrics, that's usually sixty, seventy, eighty dollars per resource ounce for an inferred um, uh, resource with a company that doesn't have a reserve because all the pricing changes when you have a reserve. But add on to that, so, so we're like a third of the sort of typical market valuations there. But add on top of that, that, that resource starts on the surface. It's not um, three years of, of mining waste to get to the ore and those sorts of things. It starts day one in a production scenario with high grade. You know, the, the first 36 metres uh, grades 3.3 gram per tonne in a, in a small area of Tesserito, and that's obviously where you would start, right? So... Um, you know, EV per resource ounce, $20 is, is great value. When you add on to that the qualitative aspects of being on the surface, et cetera, you know, I think there's huge opportunity there and hopefully the market will appreciate that soon. Right. And obviously if you're moving towards a, a, a PEA, you're not a company, so um, the, the um, I guess the intent is to be able to say to the market, hey, we've got a big project here. That's what, that's what it kind of feels like you need to do because it, it feels, has been, sorry, feels quite bitty, in terms of you've got different projects with small amounts and you've got to kind of piece them together. And I think people are perhaps struggling to sort of see how that comes um, together. Mm. So the next stage for a PEA, which again is a very sort of loose economic study, plus or minus 30%, what are you going to do in terms of the drilling? Because you've got, you've got five drills going. So what do you do with them? Where do they go? Um, is it just a qu- question because PA, you, you can do you, you, you do all categories, or do you think that you need to kind of put a little bit more infill in there and try to get a bit of MI going on there? Well, this is the thing that, that is a major sort of change for the company on the launch of the mineral resource estimate. So now we have two main streams of activity that our technical guys are, are focused on. The, the first is the development stream. So metallurgy has begun going into the PEA and all those things to pursue these development scenarios. But running concurrent with that is our aggressive exploration program. Uh, you mentioned uh, 17 million. So, you know, we've got the, the money there. We've got five rigs running continuously 24 hours a day and there's certainly no intention of, of Is that right? Sorry, that I haven't picked that up. So you're running at, what, three three shifts a day? Is that, or was that two shifts a day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, two shifts a day, 24 hours a day, five rigs. Good man. Okay. And what's the important thing here, Matthew, is that none of those rigs are infill drilling. All of those rigs are exploring other targets within that three-kilometre radius. Why is that important? So even Expl- though I'm you, saying You've right, got to explain this, Jason, because it's really important that people understand your strategy here. Because if, if, if most people come on the show and say, we've got t- anything over two million ounces, you go, brilliant, you're going to get noticed. Anything, you know, even close to three million, which I, I guess you must be brilliant. But you want to move that into an M&I uh, category, I think, for people to say, well, actually, we can sort of get a better sense of the economics when you do do a PA. There's more certainty around it. And you're saying, well, actually, no, we think we can make this bigger at this stage, and that's the that's that's the way to go. But can you explain your thinking now? Well, both, both, Matthew. So those five rigs right now are drilling at locations within that three-kilometer radius 
none of them are doing infield drilling right now. So, and, and none of them are drilling at Tesserito, Miraflores, or Dos Cabradas, the three resources. They're drilling at other targets that are really exciting within that three kilometer radius. So even though we're saying 2.6 million ounces at a gram per tonne today, you know, in, in nine months time, it might be something very different. Uh, five rigs running. Uh, and to give you an idea of perspective, it took us 23,000 meters of drilling from go to woe to define the, the 1.3 million ounces at 0.8 grams per tonne at Tesserito. So 18 months and 23,000 metres of drilling. Our um, plan this year has 30,000 metres of drilling in it. So, you know, the, the, the chances of that 2.6 million ounces at a gram per tonne being something different going forward is very high. Now, to get to the second part of your question, um, is do we advance to measured indicated and such? Yes, we will look at that as well. Um, obviously, if we're going into PEA, we want to have that as robust as possible and indicated or measured would get you there. But so break, there break down the 30,000. Right now, we're not focused on that. Break down that. the 30,000 meters. Is that all exploration? Yes. Right, 100% expert, and that's this year. So that the rest of the, sorry, I'm assuming by end of calendar year? Yeah. Okay. Which happens to be our financial year as well. Right, and and what's the dollar uh, amount attributed to that? Uh, mm, I memorized that number, but um, it, it's the lion's share of that. You know, we we have five rigs running. We spend sort of roughly one one point one million US a month on drilling. So right, okay. So towards the end of the year, you've got a whole bunch more exploration. May make a discovery in one of these targets, or more, or more. Um, may based on your, you know, sorry, rather crudely, you may add another. Million ounces, maybe. It, and there's me saying, and not you. Um, uh, which then means you're then kind of at a point where you're going to need to raise money, but you're now sitting at, I don't know, four million ounces, all categories. Again, my number, my, my thinking, not yours. Uh, you then yeah. are going to need to raise money in the market. Is the is does do you think the more current market um, is receptive to these sort of large, all category indicated? Um, stories um, in Colombia, will you be able to raise the capital? Is the story going to be, is the story as exciting as it was uh, back when you started today? Do you think it's, you're perhaps leaving yourself quite close to the war at the end of this year if you don't deliver some of the, the numbers as I kind of quickly mm. put together? Look, I think this comes back to the point we focused on earlier that we have optionality. So even though we're looking at you know, 2.6 million ounces now, and, and the number you chose was 4 million. So let's let's run with that. Let's entertain that idea. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're committed to you know, exploiting $4 million in the in the upfront process design. No, we I think I think what's going to come out of the PEA, uh, and obviously we need to do the numbers, but the most compelling scenario to me, I suspect, is going to be the 540,000 ounces of high grade that we've defined at Tesserito, grading 1.23 grams per tonne. And working that with the Miraflores material at 3.3 grams per tonne to give you an average of whatever it is, two, gra two grams something for a million ounces, I think that's going to be the most compelling economic argument. But, you know, we need to do the work. But if I was to place bets, I think that's the one that's going to be most compelling. And that's that's within the realm of a junior to achieve that without diluting our shareholders unnecessarily. Right. Okay. So what? So in terms of um, building on the main resource that you put out where the market went, mm, this year's all about the drill bit, what you are able to put into the market, um, your expectation is more of the same. Sorry, I suspect your uh, expectation is more of the same and to which you think the market will react. Because when you talk about optionality, optionality is really enhanced by having cash 
because the the better the further along that path you go in terms of um, you know utilizing that cash and 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 um, you know using up that cash, the optionality in, in a very meaningful way changes. The direction is very much set. So do you review? As you go along, that strategy, depending on what's going on in the marketplace, or you said, right, that's our guidance, 30,000 meters uh, expiration. That is the best decision for creating shareholder value and the use of what was, you know, when I last saw you, 23 million bucks. I think one of the greatest benefits of being a, new, uh, being a junior mining company or explorer, uh, or should be, uh, if it's not, then I think they're doing something wrong, but is to be nimble is to be able to react on, on, a, on, a, on, a, you know, on an instant and change strategies um, when you need to. That's, that's, that's your strength of being a junior as compared to you know, a large company that takes forever to change strategy. So at the moment, we have those options running. I mean, you focus on the exploration side, but just think about the timing of um, the, um, the development stream of work as well. So we're doing metallurgy now. Information comes out mid-year. That feeds into a PEA of the, on the 2.6 million ounces at a grand per tonne. So the second half of the year, you've got that running. Running in tandem with that is the um, is the exploration program with 30,000 metres and potentially an, you know, another Tesserito coming into the mix and those sorts of things. So I think by having those two streams running this year, we have all that optionality and we, we can be nimble. If we see that the market is, is getting very excited by 2.6 million plus, 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 whatever that is, then we can we can direct more effort and attention in that direction. If the market seems to be unresponsive to that, and they want to see us going into modest scale production and fund exploration out of revenues, then you know we can we can react accordingly. So I think being nimble is is a key part of this. And I would agree. Um, but sometimes the market doesn't forgive you for changing your mind. So it's, you've <laughs> well, got to get that's why I haven't part. made up my mind. That's why we're keeping the optionality there. Okay. <laughs> Rather than committing to one path. Okay. Well, look. Th- there's the strategy. You're really clear about what's happening this year. You're really clear about what you're going to do with your money this year. And obviously, you're, you're right. Getting this resource in there does allow us to start doing some very crude um, you know, number, numbers around this one, right? Um, let's talk about Columbia. Okay, because we've we've seen and you know we've been certainly writing a lot and um, and filming a lot um, about some of these kind of clickbaity headlines about what it's like to do business in South America. We talked last time about the fact that the the Aussie retail audience doesn't tend to uh, understand um, South American plays and perhaps you get that discount applied. I think we're seeing it, it happening in North America with like I said, these kind of clickbait headlines about socialism, nationalism, et cetera. What, what's happening on the ground in Colombia at the moment? Yeah, I think this comes back to the point you made earlier about the share price not moving all that much. We, um, we don't have peers on, on the ASX in Colombia, so we don't have anyone else ahead of us that you can look at and say, oh, look, they were very successful and similar. Right? So we have no local peers. And I think that that is one of the problems we have um, being on being on the ASX and having predominantly Australian investor base. You look on um, in North America and they're far more familiar with Colombia. And there is a track record of success with, with various companies on um, on the TSX and, and probably on the New York Exchange as well. So um, you, you have that side of it. Um, yes, you see these issues around um, the, the sort of the, the push towards socialist um, leanings in a lot of the countries. Uh, Colombia uh, to date has has um, mainly been central or right ring right facing right leaning. Uh, of course, yeah, there's elections later in the year, so um, I might have to sort of backtrack from that at that on that day. But the, the the history of the company is the history of the country. Sorry, is is positive for us on that perspective. 
Uh, but, you know, the familiarity or the lack thereof in Australia has always been a problem for us. Right. And so who are the other, I mean, we've interviewed a couple of oil companies who operate there and a couple of mining companies, but they're sort of North American. I think the North Americans understand South America. Um, but you say they're no Aussie peers, but just in terms of making Aussie, your Aussie uh, shareholders and, and potential shareholders feel comfortable. Mining clearly happens in Colombia, and uh, you know here are the names that perhaps we may have heard of. Well, if you're looking at companies that are not you know, the, the majors of the majors, let's let's go to those second. But at, at sort of our level or slightly higher, 200 mil market cap, that sort of thing, uh, there's a group called Aris. Uh, now that's a relatively new name, but they were called Caldas, and before that they were called Mamoto. And uh, for those of you who follow our story, um, we most of the mineralization occurs along the Mamoto Fault Corridor, and that extends to the north of us, to Mamoto, the, the, the mine. Uh, so um, Aris uh, Collective, um, and there's a, a Manessa and Maneros are another two on the TSX that um, are active in that level. And then you go up to the next level and you're talking uh, B2 Gold, I have Gramolotte, uh, which which has some interesting comparisons to us. It's um, four million ounces at zero point seven grams per ton, uh, and in final phases of feasibility and, and similar. So that's a good one. That's B two Gold Anglo Gold Ashanti joint venture, but managed by B two. Uh, you have uh, Zijin, uh, which have Buritika in the north, which is a a once in a lifetime discovery. It's it's truly incredible what they've got there at ten million ounces at ten grams per ton or something really ridiculous. Um, and that was Continental Gold on the TSX. Uh, CNL was the ticker, but now it's it's owned by Zijin. Um, so you got Anglo Gold, B2 Gold, um, Zijin. Um, who else do you have at the big end of town? You've got Newmont in some some earlier stage work um, with uh, Agnico Eagle uh, further north. And these are all gold stories, so I'm, I'm not sort of deviating from the gold stories. Uh, so you've got plenty of the big players active in the area. Okay, so so all of those those companies operating uh, operating producing in in country, um, the the kind of mi- mining law and or the rule of law in country is well established for miners, right? So this this is not the wild west we're talking about here. So um, how have you felt? So how have you experienced? Um, as, as an explorer operating there um, with with the you know the the the, the, the department of, of mines or departments of mines and oil and gas however is framed over there because different, we've seen a lot of jurisdictional um, risk in in Canada in the US with companies like pulling out of projects or not able to go ahead because of local opposition um, whether that be um, you know state province federal level they're coming across problems South America we say we're talking about these sort of clickbaity type headlines about nationalism socialism etc what was your what's your experience on on the ground as a small company mm. well it's interesting that you mentioned Canada because I think it's a similar story um, you have to look at the states of uh, Colombia uh, to understand, to better understand the situation, you can't just look at Colombia as a whole. Uh, where we are in Reserelda, um, a state that that's um, sort of moderately um, welcoming of mining. Uh, they're certainly not bullish on it, but they're sort of welcoming. They're pragmatic about the need for, for mining as part of a contributor contribution to their economy and such. So you've got to look at that state level in terms of um, uh, overarching. Um, Countrywide administration, as you pointed out, it's 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 been established. It's been established for a long time and, and relatively predictable. Um, but you did raise another point, and I think this this is true of Colombia, but it's it's the same everywhere in the world. That um, understanding your communities, your communities' concerns and and, and motivations and those sorts of things is, is absolutely critical. 
in Colombia, everywhere really, but, but particularly in Colombia, you really have to be um, very, very aware of what, what concerns and um, uh, motivates your local community. We are in a very strong position on that front. Um, we have, with the success of the, of the last year and a half, we have 125, no, 128 people in the company now and 126 of those are Colombians. It's just uh, myself and the CFO that are not. Uh, and the vast majority of them, so let's say maybe 100 of that 126, live in Kinchia, the, the local town. So we're very much part of the local economy. You know, we hear things because we are such a large contributor to the local economy and the local social, local social structure. So from that perspective, we're, we're in, a, in a pretty good position uh, at Kinchia. So I just remember from the last interview, banana chips. That was, that's what I remember. <laughs> And, and How, we make how's banana the banana chip, chip business? Well, you know, coronavirus has messed up a lot of plans. So um, they're still there. They're, they're still producing. But um, distribution has been a bit of a problem for them. Right. Um, I'm, I'm actually heading there in June. And uh, my intention is to bring uh, plantain chips back to Perth with me and uh, see if we can get some international market going. You will not get them through Aussie quarantine, uh, quarantine um, border control. <laughs> oh, I've watched TV programs too, about it. Um, no, <laughs> I'm going to take it. Look. Look, I, want, I do want to talk about ESG because you mentioned some of the things that there, but it, th this badge ESG seems to be quite contentious. You know, there are people who totally get it and understand it and it stands for all the right things, right? And there are others who are just kind of railing against it because it's, it's just rebadging what was already there. So whatever you call it, whatever you want to call it or you're comfortable calling it, and I know the funds are going ESG crazy and re re renaming them their own portfolios. Um, you, what you're saying is you've got to be a major part of the local um, environment, um, society, and and kind of make sure you're giving back and following, you know, mine, not just mining code, but you know, r rule of law locally, state level, and of, and and obviously beyond at, at federal level. So your your initiatives, I think we we kind of went through last time. It might be worth people listening to that because we kind of did a deeper dive on you know. The the, the 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 what the company is up to um, there, but what, what's what's your personal view on this ESG debate that's going on at the moment mm. more broadly? Look, I, I think it's absolutely critical, and even though it's been formalised, uh, good companies have been doing it all along anyway. Uh, but now, you know, there there are, there are metrics and there are um, frameworks to to work to and things like that. But it's always been been the case. So good companies should always have been focused on this. Uh, I think um, local communities getting more of a say and more involved in things is is a good thing. Um, longer term, it's, it works to the benefit of everyone. And uh, yeah, engaging locals, you know, the, the, the policy we have, it's, it's not our official vision statement, but it's kind of a, a policy that I make sure everyone understands is we buy local, hire local, train local. So whenever we can, we buy local. Yeah. One of the great examples of this is uh, not that long ago, we had to go to Medellin, the, the, the large city, to get a part. And uh, before we actually went and installed it into the, uh, into the rig, we actually went to the local hardware store and said, you know, look at this part. We break this every three months. So why don't you make sure you've got one on stock? And, uh, and so we don't, you know, it helps them, it helps us. We don't have to drive all the way to Medellin. But it's that whole principle of being part of that local, local community and local economy as much as you possibly can. Right, but I guess, so I get I get so many inbound on ESG, it's BS, it's whatever. And I, you know, 
I have some sympathy um, to what they're saying in terms of, you know, it gets rebounced every now and again. But the basic underlying, um, you know, deliverables and things that you need to do, good companies, they say, should have always been doing these things, right? And 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 just whether it's been rebounced or reframed in a way that um, people can collectively understand because everyone had their own interpretation, um, it, 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 I think is a good thing. I do, I do think is a good thing. So just for those, for those people who are perhaps still unsure, um, is this ESG, uh, these ESG initiatives, just lip service from the companies because they want to appease the potential funds who they'll be tapping up further down the line? Or do they genuinely uh, mean, mean something to the companies? And is it an unnecessary cost? I think there's bound to be some that give it lip service, but uh, it's a very short-term strategy because it'll be revealed uh, you know the next reporting period or the period after that. So you you, you can I guess give a lip service, but you've got to be in um, in it and do it properly. Uh, it, it, your chickens will come home to roost, so to speak. If you don't, I'm quite sure of that. Uh, in terms of um, is it a is it a, a, an additional cost? No, it's it's a it's an investment. You know, we're in an exploration phase. We want to go into potentially into development, those sorts of things. We need to have those relationships with the local communities. So it's not we're not a um, uh, an unknown quantity when it comes to having those sorts of conversations. You know, we've demonstrated that we're open, we respond, we, we reveal the good and the bad in the company and, and, and things like that, and um, they trust us. Then you can have those more deeper, more serious conversations down the track when you need to. So, no, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not an inconvenient cost. It's an absolute necessity. always has been. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, so, okay. So, so it's, why, why don't you just kind of give, give me a, a summary of what we should be looking at and expecting from you um, this year? Well, we just put out the resource um, estimate. So that's done. I'm glad, I'm glad to see the back of that. That took uh, many, many hours of my time. Uh, so that's that's out now. So the next uh, news flow will be the drilling. So we've had five rigs running since January. Well, that's not entirely true. They, they were ramping up in January, but we have drilling coming through. A lot of people are, are focusing on um, what has been known as TSDH57. It's um, it's a brand new target of ours. There, there's belief that Tesserito and Miraflores, those two projects with the resources on them, actually joined together at depth. It's a theory. And we're actually testing drilling between the two of them right now. So uh, everyone's watching hole 57 to see what that delivers. But, you know, five rigs running, plenty of news flow. And remember, none of them are infill drilling right now. So you've got you've got new targets being explored. We have a target generation team. I'll have more to say about what they're delivering. We're also doing some things on the ESG front, uh, which I haven't shared with you, but um, you know we'll, we'll share with those when they come to fruition as well. And of course, then we have the development side. So we'll have the resource with the resources out. Now we're into metallurgy. We'll have some more to say about that, and we'll start looking at other elements of the synergies between Tesserito, Miraflores, and Dos Cabradas.